This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I believe that there are moments in each and every one of our lives, there are, there are words and there are phrases that transform our heart and completely change our future. And for me, this, this message has been exactly that, that God put on my heart. And it's, it's started up this, this stirring, this longing, this desire for more of Jesus. And not, not being satisfied with where I'm at, but this, this, this reckless pursuit for the more of God. And this phrase that God put on my heart a couple months ago was this. He said, Scott, how hungry are you? How hungry are you? Now, I just so happened to be in the middle of a 30-day fast, so I was actually quite naturally hungry. But I, I firmly believe that it wasn't just myself speaking to myself, that it wasn't my natural thoughts, but that it was Jesus calling me into the deeper waters. That it was this calling, this longing, this, this desire for more of God, an invitation for more of him, and, and seeking the, the abundance of Jesus, the fullness of Jesus. And, and, and it's this new pursuit that God's put me on that that isn't satisfied with where I'm at, but, but desperately seeking the more of Jesus and, 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 and becoming so totally dependent upon his daily bread and spending more time than ever before just resting and soaking in his presence because it's his presence that changes everything. And, and, and I've had the first taste of his presence, but I want more. I need more. And it's as if God has placed this, this insatiable appetite for the more of God. And this morning... I guess I should start with a verse. Maybe we'll bring the things back to a verse here, a good place to start. In Luke 6, 21, Jesus says, How filled you become when you are consumed with hunger and desire, for you will be completely satisfied. How hungry did you come this morning? Are you hungry for more of God? Because he will be your fulfilling. He will be your satisfaction. And I feel so much this morning that God is going to fill his children. He is going to fill this house with his satisfaction. If you come hungry, if you come desperate for him, he will fill you. How filled you will be when you are consumed with hunger and a desire for more of God. You know, God does this crazy thing that is so contrary to the world, and he fills us up, but in that filling, he actually places a desire for more. He places this longing for more of him. You know, it's actually, it's kind of like when I was a kid, you know, I'd, I'd sit at the dinner table, and, and you know, I'd, I'd have this half-eaten plate of food, and I'd be, oh, I'm so full, I'm so starving, and my parents would bring out this, like, delicious chocolate cake that's filled with so much goodness, and I'm like, oh, I'm starving, I need that chocolate cake. I wasn't hungry for that stuff, but I'm hungry for the cake, you know, that's my childhood obesity story right there. <laughs> but as we, as we get to a place of adequate fullness of God. He actually places within us a capacity for increase. He places this capacity for more within us. And this morning, I want to invite you to the table, and I'm going to serve you up a four-course meal that hopefully will leave you hungry, wanting more of God in your life this morning. Let's start with an appetizer. Hunger results in breakthrough. I want to start by breaking down the story of the woman that was bleeding for 12 years. 
And in Luke chapter 8, verse 43, it says, In the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered greatly for 12 years from slow bleeding. Even though she had spent all she had on healers, she was still suffering. This poor woman had suffered for 12 years. And she had sought healing. She had sought breakthrough from so many other places and spent all of her time and money and had come up to nothing. But then this one day she hears about this man named Jesus. She hears about this man named Jesus that claims to be the savior of the world that's going to that's gonna heal her and set her free. You know, she had probably heard this song and dance before. Someone's coming to town. Someone's going to fix your problems. Someone's going to heal you. But she knew that something was different in this day. Something deep within her stirred for a longing, a stirred for a hunger for this person. But she maybe couldn't place her finger on it. You know, she could have easily been offended and stayed home that day. Said, you know what, I don't, want to, I don't want to feel like dragging myself down there just to be let down one more time. But something deep within her hungered for this person of Jesus. And the very next verse, Luke 8, says, Pressing in through the crowd, she came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his robe. And instantly her bleeding stopped and she was healed. Now, to give this a bit of context, because every piece of Scripture speaks to us today, there's not one piece of Scripture that does not speak to us. And the place in which she grabbed, the cloth in which she grabbed on Jesus' robe was actually very significant back in those days. She wasn't just simply grasping at whatever it was she could blindly get a hold of of Jesus just to get his attention. No, but she actually grabbed a specific place on Jesus' robe. The place that she grabbed would have been the prayer shawl that Jesus was wearing. She would have grabbed a hold of the tassel of that prayer shawl is what it actually says in the translation. And the tassel of the prayer shawl that Jesus was wearing actually represents in the day, in the culture, the commandments and the promises of God. You see, this woman, though suffering for over a decade, while dragging herself across the floor, desperate for Jesus, desperate for, her, for his touch, she clung to the promises of Jesus and received her breakthrough. You see, she had a great hunger, and it resulted in a great breakthrough. Her hunger was equally proportional to the level of her breakthrough. Church, I want to ask you, how hungry are you for your breakthrough this morning? At 11 years and 11 months and 29 days into your struggling, into your suffering, and into your pain, are you starting to lose hope and starting to feel like you're losing the fight, giving up hope to the point or will you get to the point of crawling on your hands and knees, desperate to get to the feet of Jesus and cling to his promises because it is at his feet that we receive our miracle? Luke 11, 9 and 10 says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. I want to challenge you this morning, do not tire from the battle. When you've asked, when you've prayed, when you've sought with the Lord for 15 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, don't stop pursuing, don't stop chasing, because it could be your very next prayer that opens up the floodgates of heaven into your life this morning. And maybe you're at a place where you've yet to see breakthrough in. I want to challenge you, cling to the promises, cling to the promiser, get hungry for God and watch as he shows up in triumphant glory, get hungry for the more of God, stir up a hunger for more of God. 
I cannot say it enough. There is breakthrough in your hunger. We saw this in Haiti. We went down a few years ago for uh, 10 weeks. And uh, you want to talk about a people that are hungry after God. That's where it is. They're so hungry for more of God. Sunday after Sunday, we would see people coming down from the mountains. We'd see people through the mud and the muck dragging themselves. People, some people in wheelchairs, in crutches, in canes. Some people being carried on other people's back all to get to this place called church because they knew that Jesus was there and that his presence was the only place that could heal them. If only we had that hunger, that desire for more of God. You know, it would have been so easy for this woman to take a sick day that had been bleeding for 12 years and say, I don't feel like going. But she was hungry. Verse 47 says, she says this, she says, I was desperate to touch you, Jesus. Come on, can you feel the hunger that she has in this, in this moment? The desperation that she has. For I knew if I could just touch the fringe of your robe, I would be healed. And the next verse, Jesus turns to her and tells her that she's been healed. But he uses this word in the Greek for healed. He uses this word sozo, which means not only healed, but he actually declares that she has been saved and delivered at the same time. What did he deliver her from, I wonder? I believe that he delivered her from the need of seeking satisfaction from other things around her. See, in this passage, it says that she spent every dime that she had on other stuff, on other people. Everything for 12 years on other stuff and other people. And in this moment, Jesus was freeing her from the need of other people bringing her fulfillment. You see, she had always been hungry. She was always hungry. There's no doubting her hunger, but her hunger had simply been misplaced. Her hunger was in temporary things. Her hunger was not in the eternal. Her hunger was not in the one who can satisfy. And when we hunger after temporary things, when we hunger after worldly things, we'll always be left wanting more. We'll always be left empty and falling short. Which brings me to the second course of our meal. What are you hungry for? I believe in the world there are, there are two types of Christians. There are those who are hungry for Jesus to get something from him, and there are those that are hungry for Jesus just because simply of who he is. And I want to read an example of the latter, of the, those two people in, from John chapter 1, verse 38 to 39. And a little bit of backstory to this, um, this passage. This is John the Baptist the day after baptizing Jesus, and him and a couple of his disciples were following Jesus. And in verse 38, it says this, Jesus turned around and saw them. These are John and his two disciples. He turned around and he saw that they were following him and asked, what do you want? And they responded, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus answered, come and discover for yourselves. So they went with him and saw where he was staying. Since it was late in the afternoon, they spent the rest of the day with Jesus. I find this remarkable. These are the first ever words recorded in the book of John of what Jesus says. The first words of, out of Jesus' mouth. And he says, what do you want? Not, not in an annoyed way. Not a, like, what do you want? Like, that's not Jesus' heart. Jesus is showing, actually, in this moment, displaying his servant heart. And he wants to serve his people. Right? That's what he's saying. He says, what do you want? And perhaps Jesus had been inundated all day with people following him around, just asking and seeking him to do something for them. And not seeking him for who he was, but just so that, they could, so that Jesus could do something for him. 
And that is the one type of, type of Christian that I believe is in the world, that is seeking after Jesus for, for, for something that they can do for him. That's not on display here in these two people, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, but there's uh, one type of people that chase after what I like to call the Santa Claus Jesus. That will create this, this wish list, this, this, this list of things that we want to happen, these, these lists of things that we want from somebody. And, and, you know, every now and again, we may get these warm, fuzzy feelings when we, when we fix our attention to that, to that thing, that Santa Claus Jesus. And maybe once a year, we may be even comfortable enough to cuddle up with him and sit up on his lap. Back to the story, and Jesus actually, um, the, sorry, the disciples' response was actually, Jesus actually to find out where he was staying so they could simply be with him, so they could simply be with his presence. No strings attached, they just wanted to hang out in the glory cloud of Jesus walking the earth. They didn't want to see what he could do to benefit their lives, they just wanted to soak him up. I know personally in my life, I need to do some regular self-checks to make sure that I am in the right relationship with Jesus and that I'm not seeking after him for something I can get out of, but just sitting in his presence and soaking up his goodness. Right? Like, in my relationship with my wife, Carling, I'm, I'm not in this relationship to get anything out of her. I'm in this relationship because I love the being of Carling and just want to spend time with her, no strings attached. Brownie points. Check. You know, I find this portion of Scripture interesting because Jesus, he already knows the response, right? Jesus knows all things. And, and actually, he, he knows that they're going to respond by saying that they just excuse me, they just want to spend time with him. They just want to get to know him and be in his presence. Yet Jesus, I believe in this moment, he is actually testing their hearts. He's testing the hearts of the disciples to see he is offering them the kingdom. Jesus is offering these disciples everything they could ever wish for, anything they want, and yet all they want is to just spend time in his presence. Much like Moses, Moses refused to step into the promised land because, because he just wanted the presence of God. All he wanted was the presence of God. He clung to the person of God the Father. He wasn't after the gifts, but he was after, after the presence of God. And in John chapter 2, at the wedding in Cana, I believe that um, Jesus' mother Mary actually puts on display for us the same type of Christian, the one that is after the heart of Jesus and not after something from him. And yet we see a totally different response from Jesus. In John chapter 2, verse 3, they had run out of wine. Um, they said that the wine supply had run out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no wine. See, something remarkable happens here. See, the person who Jesus was actually closest with, I would suggest to you, was his mother up until this point, right? She had been with him since birth. She's known him. She knows his heart. She knows his character. She's played with him. She's laughed with him. They've just loved each other for this whole three whatever years that Jesus has been on the earth. And she knew his character better than anyone else. She never needed to even ask Jesus for anything because she knew his character so much. She simply knew his character to resolve a situation that wasn't self-serving. You see, Mary, didn't want, Mary benefited nothing from, them, from Jesus bringing more wine to the table. But Mary does something truly remarkable here. She actually turns to Jesus, though she's never seen him perform a miracle, but she knows his true character and his heart to be the fulfilling of the people's desires. And of course, you know the story that Jesus performs his first miracle and he turns water into wine. And what I'd like to suggest to you today, the point I'd like to make from this story is that when we hunger after Jesus, not seeking anything in return, but just hunger after his very being, then the miraculous will simply flow naturally in our lives. Church, I want to ask you, are you hungry for more? Let's move on to the main course. Where are you being fed? I want to take 
A look at the passage in Luke chapter 9, verse 38 to 40. It says, A man in the crowd shouted desperately, Please, teacher, I beg of you, do something about my boy. He's my only child. He's possessed by an evil spirit that makes him scream and torment and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to drive it out of him, but they didn't have enough power to do it. You know, this man did what every parent in the house would do, right? Their child is sick, and so they sought out help. This man was screaming, begging, making a scene for Jesus to heal the boy. See, he had previously begged the disciples to do it, but they simply couldn't do it. So he fixes his attention. He turns his attention to Jesus, and Jesus is the one who answers the prayer. Jesus is the one that satisfies. And what I want to propose to you today, that when our hunger is worldly, it will always let us down. When we pursue anybody but God, we'll always be left disappointed and wanting more. Now, in this passage, in this segment of scripture, we're only left with nine disciples. Okay, Peter, James, and John went up with Jesus up the mountain for the transfiguration, and so we're left with the remaining nine disciples. And it is of my personal opinion that these nine disciples, they, they had become so prideful in themselves that they tried to heal this boy out of their own strength. Because Jesus says right afterwards when he was confronted as to why the disciples couldn't heal the boy, Jesus says this in Mark 9, 29. He says, this kind of unclean spirit can come out by any, cannot come out by anything but prayer to the Father. If they weren't praying to the Father, well, what was it that was, they were seeking to heal the boy? I believe it, it was the nine disciples out of their own prideful heart trying to do something that they couldn't do. See, they stopped feeding from the source that Christ had given them and tried to perform something that they couldn't do on a spiritual empty stomach. See, we don't have Jesus physically here with us. Jesus is not walking amongst us. He's not physically here with us. Not physically here to feed us. And that's why I believe there's so much importance in where we spiritually get fed. We live in one of the most amazing times in all of history. This is, this is the information age. Right? One could sit and watch sermon after sermon, hours of, of listening to podcasts and teachings and seminars and, and conferences from all these different places that are around the world. There, you could absorb so much wisdom and so much knowledge from different places. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything wrong with that. We should seek deeper study in the Word and, and, and deeper knowledge and understanding. But I believe that those should only be our snacks, whereas the local church should actually be our main course. I could do a whole study, a whole teaching on the importance of local church, but there's one verse I want to sit on for a second, and it's Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that says this. It says, They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. So this is the very first church that we see. This is in the book of Acts. Pentecost had just taken place. The baptism of the Holy Spirit had just come. 3,000 people get saved after, people, after Peter shares the first real sermon. So we have all these new Christians, and what do these Christians do? They devote themselves to the teachings of Christ, fellowship with one another, and the breaking of bread. They were being fed by community. I want to suggest to you that this community here is a place to get fed. This community here is a place that will build you up that will love on you, that will encourage you, that will bring you to the next level, that will help push you along, will carry you along to the next level. See, church was never designed to be done alone. In John chapter 6, we see there's a miracle in which Jesus breaks bread 
and, 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 and shares fish with 5,000 people, right? And all he had was a couple loaves and a couple fish. And so he performs this amazing miracle multiplying all the food. And then all of a sudden, Jesus has this entourage with him. He has these thousands of people that are all of a sudden hungry for what Jesus has, right? They've seen this taste of Jesus. He's given them this appetite. And so all these people start following him because they're hungry for him. But then a couple of verses later, Jesus gives this controversial word. Verses 53 and 55, he, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth, that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. When he said these words, thousands of people fled from him. He went from, from feeding 5,000 to offending 5,000 in a matter of minutes. That takes talent. See, they wanted Jesus to feed him. That's why they followed him, right? He gave them a taste on the hillside. And they wanted Jesus to feed him. Just like many Christians, they come to church, they come to Christ to be fed. And Jesus says in, in chapter 6, verse 58, he says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors, but will live forever. If I can say it another way, he says, I am the only bread. I am the only way. You see, it is Christ and Christ alone that our fulfilling comes from. He is the only one that can fill that void. You see, these people, these thousands of people, they wanted to feed from Jesus, but the problem was they didn't want Jesus alone to be their feast. They wanted to feed from multiple sources. Their ancestors, they relied on the provision of heaven, the provision of manna from heaven, and it led to their death. They didn't chase after the promise the promiser of God. Feed on the promiser and you'll be satisfied for an eternity. There's another important lesson that I believe that we can take from this story. See, Jesus, when he feeds the 5,000, he does something interesting that I never really understood. So he divides the people into groups. He has everybody sit down in groups of 50 and groups of 100 to feed them. He divides them into smaller groups. And I believe that Jesus is actually putting on display for us in a spiritual manner the importance of the local body of believers, the importance of the local church in this manner. You see, Jesus was able to feed the multitudes any way he wanted to. He's Jesus. He could have he taken a baguette and thrown it 100 yards down the field in Tom Brady style, feeding the, feeding the, the masses, right? Or Jesus could have set up a, a table and had a nice buffet, a nice buffet. Everybody come feed yourself. He's Jesus. He can do anything. But he didn't. He chose to feed the sheep, feed the people, feed the flock in a specific way. How does he do it? He blesses the food, then he gives it to the disciples, and the disciples go and they hand out the food to the multitudes. I believe that right here, Jesus is showing the importance to the world of those under delegated authority that they have the capability and the anointing to feed the flock. It is in the local church that you get fed. Just as today, Jesus has anointed and delegated the authority to the pastors of the local house, of the local church, to feed those who come to be fed. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I cannot stress enough the importance of the local church. The local church is where you get fed. Now, I may step on some toes for this and I apologize, but um, I want to challenge you this morning that if you're not a regular attender of church, whatever that church may be, if impact's not your home, if you're visiting this morning, whatever your local church is, I want to challenge you, make a commitment, make 
a decision, a conscious decision to, to regularly attend the local church because it is in this place that his children get fed. I, I, I'm not saying this, I promise you, I'm not saying this out of frustration, I'm not saying this out of anger, but I'm saying this, I believe, from the heart of God that wants to see his children get fed. I so desperately want to see God's children get fed. It breaks my heart when I see people that are starving, that are desperate for something, and they're seeking satisfaction from this and seeking satisfaction from that and maybe seeking a teaching from over here. But it is, it is clearly put on display that the local church is where people get fed. Come and get fed at the local church. God has placed a specific anointing, a specific mantle on these pastors right here in this house to specifically feed the flock of the house of God. This is where we get fed. I promise you, this is where you get fed. If you're starving, if you're hungry, plug in because it is in this place that you will get fed. The church was God's plan from the beginning. It was God's heart. God saw it when he created the universe. The church is how he's going to feed his sheep. That's how he's going to do it. And Jesus shows us that in this passage. Who's ready for dessert? <laughs> Hallelujah. How do I know if I'm hungry? Let's continue on with the story of Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish. In John 6, verse 10, he says, Jesus says, have everyone sit down, Jesus said to his disciples. So on the vast grassy slope, more than 5,000 hungry people sat down. To receive the bread from Jesus, to receive the filling from Jesus, I find it interesting that Jesus has everybody sit down. He actually directs them into a position of rest. They didn't have to stand and work for their filling from Jesus, but he places them in a position of rest. All they simply had to do was sit and rest in the presence of Jesus and you'll get fed. You know, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to work to receive you're filling from Jesus. It's so contrary to 21st century living, but you don't have to work for it. Stop working for it. I feel so strongly today that all we need to do is just sit and rest in God's presence. A hunger after God doesn't manifest itself with works, but actually satisfies and rests. In a position of rest, God not only satisfies, but he places that longing and desire for more. In fact, Proverbs 16.26 says, The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. Allow your hunger for God to do the work for you. Let that hunger be a driving force in your life. You know, we so often think that when we perform acts for God, when we work for God, when we perform for God, whatever that may look like in our lives, that we're bringing God satisfaction. But look at verse 12 in the same passage and what Jesus says. He says to the disciples, after feeding everyone, he says, go back and gather up the pieces left over so that nothing is wasted. The people postured themselves in a position of rest. Jesus fed them. Jesus filled them. I want to suggest to you that your hunger, when your hunger, when you hunger after Jesus for who he is, postured, you come to him postured in a position of rest, he then feeds you and fills you to the point of overflowing where there is more left over. That time that God, that you spend with God, that time that you spend in his presence, quietly seeking his face is never wasted. I can tell you from personal experience, I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm a very task-oriented person. Ask my wife. I have checklists of stuff. 
I'm like, okay, today I want to accomplish this, this, and this, and I get satisfaction when I check the box, check the ticky box. I like getting stuff done. Okay, that's me. And naturally speaking, I, it could be very easy for me to say, I don't have time to get alone with God today. I don't have time to spend with Jesus today and let my, let my to-do list conquer my life. Now, I don't necessarily have any doctrine to back up this next point, but I, I, I firmly believe it in my life that I believe that the principle of tithing can actually apply to our time as well. That when we give God our first fruits, that he, he blesses and he redeems the rest of it. You know, I learned years ago, and, and I had days, sadly, that, um, that I would let my to-do list speak louder than the presence of God in my life, than the word of God in my life, and I would attempt to get things done, um, and, and I would... Shame on me. I skipped a Devo day. It just, it's okay. It's, God forgive me. <laughs> so I would, I, would let, I would try to do all these things on my natural strength, and I would skip this Devo day, being like, no, there's too much I got to get done. I, I got to get all this done. And I'd go and try and fix all these things, and, and I'd get so frustrated and, and upset and angry, and, and I'd go to try and fix things, and they take hours longer than they're supposed to, and I'd get nowhere close to finishing my list. And then I tried, I put this tithing principle into place. I put this tithing principle into play, that I'm going to give God my first fruits of my time, and then he redeemed everything else. And that when I would go and, and, and I'd spend that time with God, spend an hour, two hours, whatever, with God, that he, and, and I still had this massive to-do list, that when I would go and get this, to this to-do list, that, that the list was, was actually everything that I wanted to do, I would go to see it, go to fix it, and it was, it was already fixed. Whatever was broken was already fixed, or something that took a lot less time than it was supposed to, or, or this and that, and whatever God did, but he redeemed all of that time to the point where I had time left over. I never understand the way that God works. Um, worship team, if you want to come back up. I want to share a little cherry on top, if you will. And that's this, is that um, hunger may cause you to chase after things that are much larger than you. <laughs> Uh, German scientists, they did a study on, on hunger in animals and they found this. They said hunger in animals has been shown to activate extra nerve cells in the brain that control perception. When an animal is hungry, certain senses are heightened and that can lead to loosened inhibitions and a willingness to take risks. In the wild, an animal might pursue a possible food source that it would normally deem too dangerous. When you're hungry after God, you will go after lions and not fear. You will chase things that are much bigger than you when you're hungry. You will go after those things that others may not because you have thrown your inhibitions to the wind. When you're hungry, fear is tossed aside. When you're hungry, you go after the impossible. What others might think or say of you for sharing your faith, to that you say, I don't care because I'm hungry. Let hunger drive you. Let hunger take you to the next level. Stir up a hunger for the more of God. I, f I so feel that God wants to pour afresh on his children this morning. If you'd simply come and say, God, I'm hungry. Don't be satisfied with where you're at this morning. Whether you've been a Christian for, for 50 years, for 50 days or 50 minutes, there's more. There is always more with God. When you stir up a hunger and say, God, fill me, he fills you. Would you come with a dump truck of expectations this morning and watch God fill you this morning in this place? You are created with a divine hunger to go after the more of God. 
Allow that hunger to stir you and push you further. I firmly believe that we are entering into a place of the more of God, both corporately and individually. That as we stir up a hunger, stir up a desire for more of God, that he's going to pour himself out on new levels and new ways in a freshness that we've never seen before. How much do we see it on our deeper nights? Wow. What are we doing on our deeper nights? We're pursuing the more of God. We're chasing after the more of God. And it's as if if we're leaning into the very heartbeat of heaven to hear what Jesus wants to say. And what does he do? We leave that place completely satisfied, completely filled, and yet there's a longing for more. Church, I want to invite you to the table and feast upon Jesus this morning. There is so much more. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 